0: Hello and a warm welcome to Economy Unplugged. It's Wednesday, the 10th of August, 2022. It's that time of the month again when we provide our global roundup. So on the podcast today, we have Terry Sheehan on the US East Coast, Max Sato in British Columbia, Brian Jackson's in Sydney, and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. In recent years, when inflation was little more than zero and official interest rates were at or very close to their so-called lower bounds, in other words, rock bottom, forward guidance on interest rates became a key tool of monetary policy. However, with inflation now overshooting targets by credibility threatening amounts, some central banks have been forced to modify their approach. Many have adjusted their language to be at least much more general, while a number have simply jettisoned forward guidance altogether. On the positive side, these changes will allow policy to be a lot more nimble, which against the current global economic backdrop must be a good thing. However, the shift also reflects increasing uncertainty about the economic outlook and could potentially boost market volatility around policy announcements as investors have less information to work with. So in today's podcast, we'll have a look at what's going on in the global economy and assess how the latest developments might impact the way in which monetary authorities plan their trade. So, as usual, then, we'll kick off with Terry. So, Ms. Sheehan, before we get to the economy per se, Back in May, Jay Powell said to quote a 75 basis point increase is not something that the committee is actively considering, only for the June FOMC meeting to deliver just that and indeed follow it with another 75 basis points in July. Last month, Powell said, quote, it's time to go just to a meeting by meeting basis and not to provide the kind of clear guidance that we had provided. So what's your take now on where the Fed sees a forward? guidance going?
1: Well, I think because this is rather analogous to me, uh, the situation before the Iraq war some decades ago, Mm -hmm. there was just so much uncertainty in the outlook that at the time the Fed was giving us its bias toward tighter or easier rates. And they just said, we reasonably cannot do it in the current situation. So I think we're in that kind of a situation now. We honestly don't know what the geopolitical situation is going to look like in the coming weeks or months, um, even year or so. Um, so I think it it's actually a better communication from the Fed to say, we don't have forward guidance for you mm-hmm. right now.
0: So in other words, we really are effectively what the Fed's saying now is that it's even more data dependent than previously when it was kind of intimating, Well, look, we know rates are going to go up. It's just a question of how fast they're going to go.
1: Yes. Um, You know, we're still hearing very hawkish talk from some of the Fed policymakers. Governor Bowman was um, out there this week uh, and she sounded quite hawkish and did not uh, say that they will not go 75 basis points again in September. But um, September's meeting is in the third week of the month, and we're going to have a whole other batch of economic data by then uh, that could significantly change the picture. I mean, we're, we're looking right now, I mean, just last Friday, we had a tremendously good employment report, but what will the August data look like when we get that in early September?
0: Okay, so um, do you think it would be more useful for financial markets if we had, if you like, a more consistent song coming from the hymn sheet, the Federal Reserve, or is it still appropriate in current conditions that we have different Fed governors or different members of the FOMC, whoever it may be? You know, some intimating, well, I think rates should keep going up and perhaps by 75 basis points or two or three meetings and others perhaps intimating, well, there might be another 25 basis points, but I think we're near the top.
1: Well, it's in, in ever since Alan Greenspan stepped down, um, Fed policymakers broadly have been more willing to speak about their individual opinions on these things. So, mm-hmm. I don't think we are ever going to get an absolutely consistent story from every Fed policymaker out there. But um, what we are seeing, especially since the vote at the last meeting was unanimous. And all 12 voters said, yes, 75 basis points. Um, I, I think um, what we are seeing is consistently hawkish outlook. And um, I think based on what we're hearing from policymakers, although it has to be taken within the context of the economic data, is that we should be looking at another 50 or 75 basis points next month. Although that could change.
0: Okay. All right. Let's say, in in terms of what's going to help, perhaps, you know, determine whether or not it is 50, 75 basis points, whatever, we go on to uh, the economic numbers. Um, In our last podcast, uh, we talked about investors becoming, I suppose, what, increasingly concerned about a possible recession. But such worries do seem to have eased, what at least a little bit, particularly, uh, as you mentioned, after last week's payroll. Now, by by European measures, of course, the US economy is already in technical recession. But what's your sense of, uh, for want of a better expression, you know, underlying trends? at the moment
1: well um looking at things like the major um indexes of manufacturing and services we're looking at a slowdown but we are not looking at a contraction um, i think it's probably you know a, a nearer thing um, about the u.s avoiding recession but um, there are some hints that consumer spending has picked up a little bit um, Confidence measures are nudging a little bit higher. Um, this morning's CPI data indicated that, you know, some of the inflation pressures are abating. So, uh, you know, they, I, I think there's a little more positive outlook for the U.S. economy right now. Um, again, I think it, it's it has to be read very carefully because these are not great numbers in most instances but um, many sectors seem to be weathering the slowdown reasonably well.
0: Okay, you mentioned inflation in there, um, the July numbers, perhaps what, well, at least on, on the whole a little bit softer than expected. Yeah. Also notice what from the New York Fed the other day, um, their July survey came out and suggested, uh, or least found, I should say, that uh, inflation expectations have declined relatively well in July too. Yeah. Do, you, do you think there's any kind of justification now for thinking that, well, hang on, we are probably near about the top of US inflation, or are there still upside risks out there? Oh,
1: there's a, upside risk out there certainly but um, the easing up in energy prices um, has been really a huge benefit to household balance sheets and has helped discretionary spending in the u.s. a great deal. Uh, food prices are definitely still going up but mm-hmm. consumers have more room around that you know they can make substitutions uh, and do more. Bargain shopping, you can't do that when you go to the gasoline station. You have to pay whatever the price is at the pump. You don't have a lot of options. So, um, you know, one thing that really kind of took me by surprise in this morning's CPI report is that motor vehicle prices were flat Mm -hmm. compared to the prior month. Uh, Haven't seen anything like that for quite a while. Uh, So, you know, there are some hints there that – Uh, some of the demand-side price pressures are improving. I'm not going to say they're great, because if you look at the core, you still got an up 5.9 percent compared to last year, which is still well above the Fed's 2 percent target. Uh, But things like uh, the Atlanta Fed's business inflation expectations uh, reading came down two-tenths to 3.5 percent today. Um, the, um, so there, there are signs that um, the Fed's credibility as an inflation fighter uh, is getting some traction uh, again uh, with these, these price declines.
0: Okay, that's interesting stuff. Last question I particularly want to ask you, and indeed um, it applied to uh, Brian and Max as well, really. Looking at some of the recent data, I mean data we know have been extremely volatile for some now, uh, time now, in large part because of COVID, and then obviously we had the uh, the war in Ukraine. Something else which has happened, particularly I noticed in Europe though, is that partly due to COVID, and indeed if you believe what the German FSO are saying, it's largely due to COVID, there have been some fairly significant back revisions coming through the data. So without, you know, don't get too much on Europe, but German first quarter GDP, for example, originally came out as being up 0.2%. And that's just quarter on quarter, revised up to 0.8%. So in US terms, at seasonally adjusted annualised rate, that's from up from 0.8% to 3.2%. And that is a very you know, unusually large change for Germany. Mm. We've seen some big revisions coming through to the likes of UK retail sales data and so on. So I mean, certainly within Europe anyway, we're at the stage whereby you know, not only do you not the central banks not know what's happening in the future, they're even less clear than usual What's happening now? Is that the true, do you think, of a U.S. case as well?
1: Well, we'll know that a little bit better um, later this month. We just got the advance report on growth in the second quarter. Um, but we are going to be seeing annual revisions to our GDP data at the end of September. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it's possible we'll see similar large revisions uh, as, as some of the late data comes in. Um, but um, I'm not actually expecting to see huge revisions like that.
0: Um, OK, fair enough. Be interested to see what happens. Right. Yeah. Well, any else from your side, Terry? Uh,
1: no, I think those are the highlights.
0: <laughs> OK, that's excellent. Talk very much as always. Right. Let's whiz across the border to Maxon and Canada. So Max, Canadian economy has been, what, something of a star performer for a while now, but we've had, what, consecutive falls in employment in both June and July. Econoday's ECDI, our Economic Consensus Divergence Index, is back below zero for only the second time since the beginning of March. So could this mean that perhaps the economy is going to slow a little bit more quickly than the Bank of Canada expects, or is it still, you know, full charge as far as economic activity is concerned on your side?
2: Concerning the uh, labor market, um, I think um, Canada's market had already recovered uh, to uh, a pre-COVID level. So Mm -hmm. uh, the recent weakness was sort of discounted by the the markets. Um, The GDP seems to be still growing uh, in Q2. So uh, there's a little bit divergence between the US and Canada. And whether this slowdown in the housing market um is going to really um cool down the entire economy or not we have yet to see um real realtors are saying there, there's so many people still uh, they're so busy that people are trying to sell or buy and uh that comes from the back uh, drop of um the um sh- still shortages of um affordable housing in major cities. Mm-hmm. So um, whether uh, aggressive tightening um, will kill the economy or not, um, we don't know yet, but it looks like um, um, it, it is slowing, but not not to, to, uh, to be in uh, to the situation where everything's um,
0: uh, being ground to a halt. OK, well, let me ask you again, so sticking with this forward guidance theme, I mean, Bank of Canada, um, a central bank that over the years has both been very pro and also very, if you like, anti-forward guidance and, of course, completely shot financial markets with July's 100 basis point tightening. What's the sort of Bank of Canada's current thinking on the subject, do you think? I mean, are are they, you know, do they still believe that the idea of giving financial markets an indication of what's going to happen to policy is, is a good thing or are they shifting to more this, of more this world of right we take each meeting as it comes depending upon how the data come out in the interim.
2: I remember uh, years ago the Bank of Canada tended to surprise the market so I guess so did everybody else but I think they're trying to be more transparent and um, try to create uh, expectations um, in their own ways and I think um, definitely 100 basis points was a surprise, but um, maybe they thought about 75, and then they thought, well, we have to play catch up, and then mm-hmm. we have to hurry before uh, it becomes too late. Uh, August is a, a month of no meetings, and so um, that was. I'm not sure if it was clear to the market, or maybe they haven't they hadn't really decided um, how much they had to raise in July.
0: Okay, so what's the current thinking in terms what next meeting is September isn't it So I mean having just done a hundred basis points, I'm presumably they're not looking at doing another hundred come September time. so what's the sense that they might do then? I assume rates are going up again in September
2: right now the key policy rate is at 2.5 percent mm-hmm. and the um, natural uh, rate is considered uh, to be in a range of two to three. And uh, governor has been saying uh, they will either uh, keep raising to the um, to be more neutral, uh, or could go above neutral depending on the data. Uh, so uh, another 50 basis uh, point hike um, would push it up to three. That's that's still just the top of the range. Right. So it could be 50, 75. Uh, I don't think 75, 100 would be necessary, given the fact that um, energy and and non-ferrous metal prices are are easing. So, um,
0: yeah, I think they would go with 50, uh, depending on the data coming up. So still tightening, but they probably they probably sort of already hit the peak pace of tightening, so to speak, for the time being. Okay. Um, Anything else from your side in terms of general developments that um, our guys should be aware of?
2: Um, that's it for Canada.
0: Right. Okay. Well, Don't don't go home because we still need you for Japan now. And um, each time I come to Japan, I kind of ask you really what you know, what's changed. But I suppose in the context of where we're coming from this podcast, if we've got a central bank that's still really sticking to its guns in terms of policy and indeed, I guess, forward guidance as well. It's a BOJ. So, I mean, have you got anything to update us on the Bank of Japan and indeed the the overall Japanese economy, which might perhaps make the Bank of Japan want to move at some point uh, since we last spoke
2: I don't think uh, there's any uh, there's going to be a big change to the policy framework or the stance because uh, uh, Kuroda is still in at the helm of the, the central bank uh-huh. and that means until next April and Prime Minister Kishida has a uh, lot more other urgent things to deal with. He's leaving the decisions up to the central bank and he's always not interested in Pursuing um, Abenomics um, um, commitment to 2% inflation target or uh, the drive to use mon- uh, monetary easing and fiscal policy to boost inflation. I mean, they're trying to actually to control the the um, uh, rising prices uh, um, for energy and food. So... Um, but, but then again, this what, when uh, Kroda um, um, took office, uh, he promised to uh, push uh, the inflation rate to 2%. And even though it's about 2% now, but that seems to be only temporary, it, uh, it is forecast to come back down to just about one next uh, fiscal year. So that means um, as long as um, the... The agreement between the bank and government uh, uh, is still there. Um, they can't really change the policy stance. Right. Fair enough.
0: Okay. Any else from your side, Max?
2: Right. So, um, overnight, um, uh, Prime Minister Kishida shuffled his cabinet. Mm-hmm. This is to shore up second voter support. I mean the revelations that ruling party lawmakers have done a little to crack down on what lawyers are calling illegal activities of the unification church right. i think people on the roll must know it by now um the unification church has cal- cultivated very close ties with the conservative conservative politicians um over decades uh since the end of the war uh, 50s 60s um I, I'm not sure if the uh, everybody is aware of the, the big social issues in the past 40 years in Japan. Unification Church from South Korea, uh, the late Sun Myung Moon started it in Seoul, but they they developed a huge chapter in Japan, and um, basically victims are saying they're being brainwashed to you know, to believe in their doctrines and and told to uh, uh, raise funds, and the the reason uh, former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was assassinated last month was the suspect, uh, the gunman. Uh, according to press reports, he told police that he had a personal grudge against Abe, and mm-hmm. he thought Abe was promoting the beliefs of the church, and the uh, uh, group that's um, was formed uh, decades ago to win over communism, and the suspect's mother donated so much money uh to the church and the family went bankrupt uh but that well that wouldn't really um uh, push everybody, in, everybody into killing somebody like leaders but uh, anyway so that that's the context and typically in japan um news media have uh, self-censorship they don't want to uh, report something not very favorable to their leaders, but now that foreign media have reported it, everything you they that you hear from Japan is more revelations of uh, um, what lawmakers uh, have uh, what kind of a close contacts with the church. Uh, the church used the, the Japanese politicians to penetrate into the society by uh, sending uh, volunteers to support the. Uh, election campaigns, and then um, I think the, uh, what happened to Japan was post-war, uh, Abe's uh, grandfather Nobusuke Kishi, um, who was a class a war criminal, but uh, used by the U.S. to keep communism at bay in Asia. So, this long, uh, cozy relationship between the uh, conservative politicians and the church um is now sort of coming back at them and see how this is going to affect um, obvious um, uh, approval ratings uh, further but um, he has um, more uh, urgent um, um, issues like um, uh, tensions between China and the US and its allies and now Japan is seeing a resurgence of um, Covid cases to now record highs Mm. and they're trying to uh, reopen the economy but not shutting down and and trying to remind people that they still have to have some uh, public uh, health uh, safety measures so it's going to be a tough uh, um, period ahead for uh, Kishida and his
0: cabinet. All right interesting stuff thanks for that Max. Okay, then. Well, let's move across to Brian. Um, right, Brian, we normally kick off with China, but if I can, I'd like to ask you first about monetary policy. Uh, I mentioned in the intro in Australia and Kiwi. Um, missing inflation targets, I guess, has put a lot of, well, a serious dent on the credibility of many central banks. And it seems now that, well, you've got major reviews taking place into what, how and why the RBA and the RBNZ were so far off their inflation forecasts, and hence slow to tighten. Um, what your your Reserve Bank Governor Lowe was actually quoted as saying, forecasting was embarrassing by the RBA. So how important do you think this might be in terms of what what it means overall for monetary policy um, in Australia and Kiwi, and of course with potential knock-on effects elsewhere around the world? And could you think this could actually have major implications for how policy is formulated in the future?
3: Well, I guess the risk is that uh, they'll uh, swing too aggressively the other way in, in order to try and um, you know, re-establish their, their credentials and, and, and to get inflation uh, as quickly back to their target levels as, as they can. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I guess that is a danger. Um, you know, they, they have, you know, particularly here in uh, Australia, there has been a lot of criticism both in the press and, you know, from uh, from certain parties about what the RBA uh, has done, you know, a lot of people feel that they've been misled uh, by uh, previous advice about where they, when they expected to uh, start tightening policy. Um, you know, I think I think we all realise that uh, forecasting is very much an inexact science, and um, uh, it's, uh, it's it's not going to be easy always to get get uh, those calls right. But uh, you know, I guess where the RBA did um, leave itself open to criticism is that they were pretty uh explicit in right. uh, yeah in, in what they were, were thinking yeah you know? and so I, I guess um you know the 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 temptation going forward might be just to be less explicit about where you you uh, see things going so you won't be criticized if if, um, if, if things turn out differently
0: and I guess if I well just to interject, but I mean what, what they came out of the, the, the statement at the last board meeting, they said just to quote, the board expects to take further steps in the process of normalising monetary conditions over the months ahead, but it is not on a preset path. And I yes. guess that's already a fairly significant change from you know what they were talking about. We go at least we go back a year or so ago when they kind of told financial markets what they thought was going to happen. Full stop.
3: Yeah, I mean they, they were very uh, yeah. As I said, they were much more explicit 12 months ago, saying oh yeah, we think we don't expect to, to see a move before 2024. That was that was that that line was used several times, and uh, yeah. So a lot of people thought, okay, well they're not going to go until 2024, and that obviously wasn't the case. So um, yeah, they're they're paying the price for uh, that for for getting that wrong at the moment in terms of their credibility, and yeah, uh, you know, they're they're working hard right now to try and. Uh, uh, to get on top of the inflation issue. And, but that's going to obviously, uh, you know, cause a lot of uh, pain for people who, who have uh, mortgages, mortgage rates going up higher. And uh, so they'll, they'll cop criticism for that.
0: Yeah, them and many other central banks as well. OK, in terms of sort of what's happening in the economy. though, so let's say, so let's kick off with um, Australia and Kiwi since we're there at the moment. Have there have been any sort of you know, major changes since uh, the last podcast?
3: No, not really. I mean, we're, we're still... Um yeah, you know, very much in the um, middle of a of a pickup in inflationary pressures, which is uh, obviously driving what what uh, both central banks are doing. Um, the the labor market's holding up, though. Um, you, you know, in fact, obviously that's driving the inflation pressures to to a large extent. There's there's a lot of uh, tightness in in many uh, labor market indicators. Uh, yeah, so I think we're just um, you know in in that. In, the, in that same sort of stage where uh, the, the focus is, is clearly going to be on getting inflation back down to where it needs to be. Um, if, if we look at uh, the, the RBA's uh, updated forecasts that were push, uh, published last week, uh, they have inflation peaking uh, later on this year, uh, coming down in 2023, but still being well above uh, their target. You know, their target range of two to three mm-hmm. percent, uh, and, and actually not coming down to the top of that range until you know 2024. So they are projecting, based on uh, assumptions that are priced in by the market for for what policy rates are going to do, they're, they're projecting that inflation is still going to be above target for the next two years. So you know the the obvious risk is that they might think, okay, we need to go further uh, and quicker uh, than what the market is pricing in uh, with with rate increases.
0: Okay. Do we know, in terms of these reviews, particularly so said that there's been a quite a lot of press coverage of the one going into the Reserve Bank of New Zealand from these external examiners, where we call. Do we know when they're going to these are going to be released, or indeed are they going to be released uh, in the public?
3: Yeah, I, I don't remember when the RBNZ uh, one will be out. Uh, it's probably uh, published somewhere, but yeah, sorry, I don't have it uh, to, to mind. Um, okay. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, obviously uh, that that'll come out. Uh, you know, at some stage after they have a chance to, to do the review. I, I know the Australian one, uh, uh, it, that, that review is due to be out sort of early next year.
0: Right. Okay. All right. Let's shift. So, the yeah, the, yeah. Sorry. The,
3: the,
1: the, the, they're definitely
3: uh, spending a bit of time on it. They're not just, it's not just a, a quick assessment there. You know, in both cases, there's there's been a while since the last time, you know, there was a sort of formal review of the, of the framework. And, you know, it happens on a, Periodic basis that um, you know governments and and uh, you know those overseeing the central banks want to just you know uh, review the terms and see if uh, there's anything can be changed. But um, you know it's clearly I think being prompted by the fact that um, you know we we have had some uh, uh, disappointment with the, the 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 forward guidance that has been given uh, over the last sort of 12-18 months.
0: All right. I'll tell you what I'm sure' a lot of other central banks will be looking over their shoulders yeah. and being very interested in what comes out of that part of the world okay then uh, quickly move on then to China. Um, I don't know what I've seen in the data some of the commentators, it seems that there's an increasingly few number of people who believe this five and a half percent growth target is going to be hit in 2022. Um, is that the right kind of, kind of assessment? And, and there are some signs recently that perhaps we have some of the inflation numbers starting to come down already. So presumably in contrast still to most of the rest of the world, pressure on the, the likes of a central bank in China to, you know, to even think about raising interest rates is still a long way down the road.
3: Yeah, I mean, in a way, uh, China has been tightening policy not using interest rates, but using public health restrictions. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. you know, their, their, <laughs> yeah, fair yeah. yeah. point.
3: Their, their zero COVID policies have had a you know pretty significant impact on on demand and activity and you know inflation by just you know closing down uh, large parts of the of the economy for for quite some time now. So. Um, You know they they haven't been uh, moving the tighten policy like other central banks, but they have been uh, clamping down on things that way. So I I think um, if anything, there is upside risks to growth if they do Mm. get on top of. uh of the pandemic uh and feel comfortable in relaxing those public health restrictions now predicting that is very hard i mean predicting economic data was hard enough predicting obviously the the, the pandemic uh outcomes is is, is even good
0: better. luck with that one yeah actually sorry do, are there still that, are there still lockdowns in place in china or have there been eased now
3: they have been eased but they're still very tight in in, in okay. many parts and and you're still getting um you know, local flare-ups and mm-hmm. and then, you know, responses from uh, local authorities. So, you know, I think that there's obviously downside risk as well. If You know, if we continue to see uh, these outbreaks uh, take place and restrictions keep on getting tightened all, all the time, then um, it's going to be hard to, to meet even even a lower growth forecast. But, you know, it, it's, a, it's a two-edged coin, a right. two-edged sword. It could easily go the other way if, if, if we do see a, a really – Significant improvement in in public health conditions.
0: Okay, fair enough. Anything else from your part of the world you think you should uh, chip in?
3: Well, you you, you did mention uh, Chinese inflation coming off, um, and so yeah, that that is a difference between again between um, what's what's happening in China and elsewhere in the region. Uh, we had Chinese data out, uh, Chinese inflation data out yesterday, and the the headline rate went up a bit, but that was largely well, that was entirely due to to food prices uh mm-hmm. in particular pork uh, uh and fruit and vegetables so some of the key uh, food items they they, they had bigger year over year increases but if you just look at uh if you strip out food uh, uh the inflation rate was steady and if you strip out food and energy uh we actually saw a bit of a, a, a fall in the in the in that core inflation rate uh i think from one percent to 0.8 percent. so that i think is also obviously uh uh, feeding into what, what policy is, is doing. There's not as much urgency to tighten to monetary policy as, as what you're seeing uh, in, in, other, uh, in, uh, in other major economies.
0: Okay. Actually, I should just quickly ask you, because I noticed that in your India, Reserve Bank of India, tightened, what, 50 basis points, where are we, last Friday, wasn't it? Um, yeah. That was expected, I assume, and still more to come there, or is there anything different we should be thinking about there? Uh,
3: There's probably still, I, I think... Um, you know, the bias is still towards a little bit more. Uh, they're, they're um, you know, so they've got the inflation problem that we're seeing elsewhere, and so they're they're trying to do uh, use monetary policy for that. But they're also, uh, the, the the activity numbers that have come out haven't been too bad, actually. Um, if you look at the PMI numbers and industrial production, it uh, seems to be holding up quite well. So I think that will uh, give the RBI confidence to, to at least retain that bias towards um, uh, some further tightening of monetary policy. Brilliant. OK. Anything else from your side? No, it's uh, yeah, just uh, continuing on, really, um, with, with that theme that, uh, you know, inflation is is still the, the number one issue uh, across most of the region. And uh, so central banks still have more work to do.
0: OK, great. Thanks, Brian. OK, then, let's move on and round off with uh, Europe. And I guess uh, one of the most obvious if you like, forward guidance casualties of soaring inflation can be found at the European Central Bank. So, the ECB, as people probably noticed, uh, they hiked interest rates by 50 basis points on what July the 14th. Um, that having said in June and stressed the fact later that it would be only 25 basis points. So, their forward guidance at that time was extremely specific, simply saying that, right, now we're putting interest rates up 25 basis points come the July meeting. So, raising by 50 basis points at at a time when they had their chief economist, if I remember correctly, even about 10 days before that meeting, still maintaining that 25 basis points would be more than enough, really does kind of put the death knell, I suppose, as far as uh, forward guidance goes into uh, for ECB policy. In fact, the only information really got about the outlook for interest rates was to, to quote, a further normalisation was seen as appropriate. Crucially, the ECB really binned its strict forward guidance, which had previously done Laid down the criteria for higher interest rates, including, importantly, having to end quantitative easing first. And these, of course, were widely blamed for preventing the central bank from raising interest rates earlier. In fact, as far as President Lagarde's concerned, she said in the uh, the press conference immediately after that meeting to quote, we are much more flexible and that we are not offering forward guidance of any kind. From now on, we will make our monetary policy decisions on a data-dependent basis. We'll operate a month and by month, step by step. So in other words, they've really been what they were, the kind of guidance they were talking about before. And in line with the likes of Fed and indeed many other central banks now, the ECB, run effectively trying to tell markets what they're going to do. They're going to be looking at the numbers and decide what's going to happen on the basis of that. For what it's worth in terms of the financial markets, they're still pretty well pricing at the moment, another 50 basis point um, hike once we get into September time quickly in terms of the economy well since we last did this podcast it's really been a case of the more of the same um, in terms of inflation July we saw a record 8.9 percent core record rate of 4.0 percent so there's still pressure on the bank to come out and, and hike interest rates but for what it's worth and it's still barely early days yet there have been some tentative signs that inflation might be close to getting topping out but as I think as everybody else has been saying that it's really down still very much to what comes out with energy prices and of course for Europe what goes on with the war in Ukraine. And I should pick up on uh, the second quarter GDP numbers, uh, which were much stronger than expected. Uh, they're up at 0.7% on a quarter on quarter basis in the uh, what they call the preliminary flash report. Uh, that was an unusually large divergence from what was expected um, and we don't get any real details of a breakdown of the GDP numbers, but, it, but given that retail sales over the quarter, which we do have, actually fell 0.8 percent. Indeed, the retail sector in the Eurozone is actually already in recession because it contracted in the first quarter as well. But science domestic demand is struggling. In fact, it looks like most of the growth in the second quarter really came out of a kind of a, a post-COVID rebound in tourism. So, we saw particularly strong growth numbers out of Italy, which on a quarterly basis was up 1.0 percent and Spain 1.1%. So two of the main uh, holiday destinations within the Eurozone itself. Germany, it's got to be said, is still a big worry as Russia continues to cut back on its energy supplies. Um, and also with regards to and with regards to Germany, I should say, as I mentioned uh, when we were chatting earlier on, there have been some big revisions coming out there which the German FSO, their stats office, has acknowledged have been unusually large and, and, and mainly down to COVID. And that may be more of a pattern we're going to see coming across a, a, a chunk of the Eurozone and the possibly UK as well, we have seen some fairly significant revisions to the UK retail sales data in the last couple of months or so, with the UK um, Office of National Statistics, our main stats body also indicating really that problems with data collection and late transmission of data and so on have made current data much less reliable than usual. So do keep an eye on that in terms of where the economy actually stands, because it's it's all very well having a go at the central banks for getting things wrong, but it's all the harder for them to get things wrong. they don't actually know where we stand in the first place. Before I move on to the UK I should just quickly mention a bit of politics which is Italy, surprise surprise. Um, Prime Minister Mario Draghi uh, resigned on the 21st of July and there'll be snap elections now on September the 25th. Nothing new about political instability in Italy of course, it's part and parcel of things these days. However um, if it looks it looks at the moment as if we're going to get a swing to the right and to some of the more populist parties, and that's going to raise question marks over delivery of the next instalment of the EU coronavirus recovery funds, which Italy desperately needs at the moment, and indeed um, access to the European Central Bank's so-called new transmission protection instrument, which essentially means the ECB buying bonds from those countries which are under pressure uh, with interest rate spreads rising. So if that actually comes about, then that could be a real problem as far as the eurozone is concerned, with pressure on the euro rising again and general instability in the region. So those elections in Italy, as mentioned on 20th of September, worthwhile keeping an eye open on. in terms of where I am, Bank of England then uh, well, is in a right raw mess at the moment um, it's under immense pressure its inflation forecasts have been badly out of sync, if we say that the RBNZ and the RBA haven't done too well, try and look at what the Bank of England has been saying, um, and have been sufficiently poor that, as people may be aware, currently the uh, Prime Minister's position in the UK is open we had two candidates, Liz Truss and uh, Richie Sunak uh, try challenging for that position and results should be out on September the 5th. Liz Truss, the uh, the Foreign Secretary, is current favourite and one of her options apparently is that were she to win the position she would consider ending Bank of England independence, which would be a major shock to financial markets should that come about. Personally speaking I think it's unlikely, but it's interesting there is talk that they might do something about changing the bank's current remit, which sensibly is just to meet a 2% inflation target, like so many other central banks, to modify that to either get rid of it completely or include some kind of perhaps growth target or at least some kind of renewed emphasis on you know the economic picture of a UK economy in general so that's going to be something which is interesting um, but this very much a reflection as uh, Brahm is talking about with you know, some of these inflation problems the central banks have had, the Bank of England has had a huge one and indeed we've got the stage now whereby I guess you can say that in terms of forward guidance from the Bank of England they effectively ended it back in what November last year when having sort of seemingly told financial markets that interest rates were going to go up then at their MPC meeting they duly left them hold which surprised everyone and went down like a lead balloon, and then sort of raise them in December, having sort of intimated that policy was going to be on hold then, which went down equally badly. So I must say case now that my financial markets aren't too sure how to interpret what the bank says um, from the various MPC members when it comes to policy. Um, And indeed, we actually had uh, the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey in November uh, suggesting that he could to quote, imagine going back to the days of offering no further guidance whatsoever Um, The August MPC, which has just concluded last week, that was to be bland. It just said that policy is not on a preset path. Uh, The committee will, as always, consider and decide the appropriate level of bank rate at each meeting. The scale, pace and timing of any further changes in bank rate will reflect the committee's assessment of the economic outlook and inflationary pressures, which to all intents and purposes says precisely nothing. So it's pretty well in line increasingly what we're seeing coming out of a lot of these central banks now, whereby the old days of forward guidance convincing markets. Don't worry about interest rates going up. That's not going to happen. we gonna do whatever we have to do to get the economy going, you know, get get, get growth going again. we gonna keep an interest rates down. That really does seem to be long gone now um, and very much a reflection of the fact that uh, they've missed the boat in terms of the way inflation has accelerated. What else should I mention? Um, Just quickly in terms of the, the, the UK numbers, I guess, if you believe what the Bank of England is now saying, and it has to be said, I think a lot of people are quite dubious about this, the new forecast suggests that the UK economy will be contracting on a quarterly basis every quarter from the end of this year right through to the end of 2023. Now, if that's right, it's clearly going to make us one of the weakest economies right across the G10 group of countries, which means you would expect the pound to be under considerable pressure. The fact that the pounds hardly moved since the bank came out of these forecasts I suppose is tantamount to indicating that you know not too many people believe what the bank says when it comes to forecasting now nonetheless they did also say which is going to be much closer to truth that UK inflation is going to hit a whopping 13.3 percent in October that's when we have the next big increase in the uh, the price cap on energy domestic energy prices in UK coming through and although that number may not be exactly right it is going to be a huge number so the bank really is face an extremely difficult policy dilemma at the moment, under which uh, growth, if you believe it, is going to, well, the economy is going to fall into a significant recession next year at the same time as we've got inflation so far above target, you can't believe the numbers. Um, but quite interestingly, just you know, adding to the melee of what's going on in the UK, uh, just the other day, we had one MPC member suggesting that if the bank's forecast on the real GDP is correct, we could see recession in the UK causing inflation to fall much faster than expected. So we could end up with the Bank of England cutting interest rates at the same time as they're sucking liquidity out to shrink its balance sheet through its QE through its QE program. So what would be giving away with one hand, it'd be kind of taking back with the other. So it's going to be great fun trying to interpret exactly what the bank's going to be trying to do over the course of the next few months and quarters. OK, let me round off from my side um, with the Swiss National Bank, mainly because say, we talked a lot about forward guidance on this podcast. Some banks like it. A lot of banks now are very cautious about it. And some banks think, well, it's not worth having anymore. Well, there's one central bank who made it painfully clear that it isn't interested in forward guidance. and uh, It's the Swiss National Bank. Uh, for those people who remember, it pulled its FX target floor from under the euro-Swiss franc um, cross rate back in January 2015, much the market surprised. No one expected that and markets were extremely unhappy about it. Um, it also raised interest rates by a surprisingly large 50 basis points a couple of months ago so in June. The markets were only expecting 25 basis points and just to rub it in it went on to say to quote it is not in our bit so we are not in the business of forward guidance. So really as far as the SMB is concerned for financial markets don't expect any help there. Okay. On that note, then, I guess we probably prattled on enough for this week. So um, what can we say? Well, I guess it's probably fair to say that F uh, forward guidance can have an important effect when official interest rates are at their lower bound. But when inflation is so far above target, the economy is not performing expected and even the current data are less reliable than usual. Central banks really need to be able to act both quickly and flexibly and that's certainly where we are at the moment. Increased data dependency, of course, for the central banks make, makes keeping up to date with the latest statistics all the more important. And of course, you can find all you need to know on that front in the Day's global economic calendar. Do check it out. For now, though, I'm Harper Terry, Max, Brant, and myself. Thanks ever for listening. We hope to see you again next time. Bye for now.